Amen. So we are uh, we're in our series, which is called Not a Fan, and what we are looking at, we've been asking the question, are you a fan of Jesus, or are you a true follower of Jesus? And we've been doing that over the last five weeks now, and uh, we've been, Sundays, I've been teaching along those lines. Tuesday nights, we've been looking at a video series and having conversations in small groups about some of the topics. And then there's been a journal for the whole of this period as well. So let me say this as we come towards wrapping it up and into the final week. Number one, if you didn't keep up with the journal, don't feel bad. Is that okay for starters? You know, you did what you did. It's all good. It wasn't meant to be a test, and it wasn't meant to be a burden, all right? So don't feel as if, if you want to dip into it for this last week, that might be a good thing. If you didn't make it all the Tuesdays, hey, okay. If you're able to come this Tuesday, we'd love to see you for the last Tuesday evening of this series. By the way, the Tuesday after that, we're going to have a worship night. So our band is going to do a whole evening of worship the following Tuesday, okay? So, um, but if you're able to be with us Tuesday, then then that's cool. So we've been looking at this, and I know some of it has been quite soul-searching and thought-provoking, and it was meant to be, and help us take a good look at where we're at in our relationship with Jesus. And today we come to answer or to look at this question, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? In the early 80s, actually it was April of 1984, I came to the United States for the very first time. What's that, 35 years ago next month. So I came to the USA for the very first time. I've been invited to speak at a pastor's conference in Virginia Beach, and I came over for that. What was quite fascinating was so many things were different here, and there so many different things that were available. Back home, I had a wife and a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old, and uh, while I was here, I was looking for things that they might appreciate. And ended up with a whole bunch of things for our two children that you couldn't get in the UK. So when I got home, um, they were kind of excited to get all the stuff that I brought them. About the same time of year in 1985, surprisingly, they asked me back to speak at the pastor's conference there again. We had about 400 pastors there. And they asked me back again and uh, came back. And I came back this time with a shopping list for my children. Hey, Dad, will you bring me this, 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 this? And there was a certain kind of sneakers you could get here that were a lot cheaper than they were in the UK. So there were sneakers for somebody and somebody else. And, and I remember the day I got home. And um, when I got home, the, the, the kids were like there, and they were so excited to see me. And it was so great to see them. And they said, are you going to open your case now? <laughs> and, and in a soul-shattering moment, I realized it wasn't really me they were thrilled to see. They were waiting to get the stuff. It was all about the stuff, really. But my therapist helped me through that, and I'm good now. <laughs> There's a story that a lot of you will be familiar with. It's in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, and it's, it goes like this. There was a great crowd. At, no, switch back for a second, John. I'm going to come back. To, uh, I'm going to take about 10 minutes to get there. Roughly. So, <laughs> settle down, drink your coffee. So, a great crowd had followed Jesus uh, or came to hear him teach. And uh, you, 
Many of you know this story. They stayed there all day, and they're listening to Jesus, and it's getting towards the evening, and uh, one of the disciples says, uh, you know what? You'd better kind of finish now, and these people are going to need to go eat someplace. And, and I love what, what happened there where Jesus turned to one of his disciples, Philip, and said to Philip, uh, where are we going to get enough bread for these people? Now, you know what I like about that? Jesus knew there wasn't enough bread around for these people. But I like that he, I think he was teasing Philip. Right? I think, I really think he was. Hey, Philip, we're in a bit of a bind here. What are we going to do? How are we going to get bread for all these? I think he was kind of, you know, just just teasing Philip in that moment. And, and Philip's reply was, Lord, it would take more than six months' wages to buy food for all these people. And then you come to think of it, even if they had six months' wages, it's like, wait a minute, I've got Chick-fil-A's number here. And it's like, okay, um, I want, um, let me think, something like about 15,000 meals uh, yeah, if you could deliver, that would be great. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Jesus' chicken is great. Thank you. <laughs> but like, how much? Because the Bible says there were 5,000 men there. And what they were probably done in that culture is the men would be sitting differently from the women, from the children. So I guess somebody, when they finished counting 5,000, they said, yeah, that's good. There's 5,000 guys. But the chances are, if there's 5,000 men, there might have been 5,000 women too. If there was 5,000 women, there might have been at least 5,000 children. Don't tell Faith that, right? Our children's director, okay? 5,000 children. God bless you. Um, but there was a huge crowd. And then Andrew comes along and says to Jesus, but um, there's a boy here with five loaves and two fish. I think it might have been Andrew's chance now to kind of have a joke with Jesus. Where are we going to find bread? Well, we got five loaves, two fish. Hey, how about that? And then a lot of you know what happened then. Jesus said, okay, get everybody to sit down. And Jesus prayed, and he started breaking the bread and the fish up, and giving it to his disciples to go around. And that five loaves and two fish kept going and kept going and kept going till they served everybody. And then, being very concerned about the environment, Jesus told them to go and clean up after them. And they picked up 12 huge basketfuls of leftovers. I love that bit, right? Started with five loaves, two fish, fed 15,000 people at least. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. Wow. Now, here's what, here's what John tells us in chapter 6. He says, he refers to the people then stayed there. It's like, this is cool. I wonder what he's going to do next. So they stayed there. They, they, they probably stayed there overnight. Because in the morning, they're looking for Jesus because it's like, hey, dinner was great, but uh, where's coffee? And in the morning, they go looking for Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. And then they notice one of the boats is gone too. And so they go around the, the Galilee, they go around the lake, and because they realize that Jesus and his disciples are now over on the other side of the lake. So when they come over on the other side of the lake and they come to see Jesus, it's like, okay, what, what are you going to do today? What's going to happen now? 
And Jesus looked at them, and here's what he said. Here we go, John. Was I 10 minutes? Jesus said to them, but it only seemed like a moment, right? But Jesus said to them, you've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomach, and the price was right. He said, basically, you're here, but you're not here because you want to see me. You're over here because you want to see what I'm going to do next. You're here because you want to know what I'm going to give you next. And Jesus decided to take that moment to have what we uh, described as the define the relationship moment a number of weeks ago. He wanted to define the relationship with this crowd. Because he knows they're not just tagging along after him because they're interested in him. They really want to get what they're going to get next. And he wants to know what they're going to really, what their response to him is going to be when they drive through windows closed. And he's not supplying breakfast. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So they all come to Jesus the next morning, and Jesus said, look, here's the deal. I'm not just going to do special tricks for you, and I'm not going to give you this, that, and the other. Here's what's really on offer. It's me. I'm the bread of life. I'm looking for people who will so commit to me and buy into me for who I am, the Son of God, that their, my life will become their life. That's what I'm looking for. And basically, he was asking them the question, am I enough? And that's the question for us this morning. Is Jesus enough? And here's a Here's a way in which there's a distinction between fans and followers. Fans like Jesus for what they can get. Followers follow Jesus for Jesus. Fans like Jesus because he gives them stuff and does things for them. Followers love Jesus because he's the Son of God. When, when we were kids and... Uh, we, my, my folks didn't have a lot of money. There was one day a week when, when we had a stew my mother used to make for dinner. It was nasty. No, it was, it was, it was, it was horrible. And uh, what she used to do was, was she used to buy breast of lamb, which I don't know if you've even bought or would have, because breast of lamb is kind of like a, lack, a rack of ribs, but it's lamb. And there's... Nothing much on the ribs but fat and, and very little meat. But my mother would buy a breast of lamb, and she'd stick it in the stew pot, and then she would uh, you know, put in everything else, all the vegetables and everything else, and like, hey, we got stew today. What kind of stew? Lamb stew. And I think, oh, God, no. No, no, I got issues now. I can't eat anything with fat on, and I attribute it to them, to that. It's like, you know, so there's this great big bowl of stew, and it's great, but there's these bits of bone with fat on. And it's not even, you know, I mean, fat's good if you fry bacon, right? I mean, bacon, that's good. I mean, if you, you know, you prepare it the right way, it's, you know, that's, that tastes really good. But this was 
spoiled because it was in a stew. It's nasty fat. And so my mother would serve us and we'd sit at the table and she'd put it in front of me and I'd force down all of it that I could because you know what? When I was a kid, I could not say to my mother, I want chicken nuggets. No, I want pizza. It was like, I never, you never even ask what's for dinner because, you know, dinner's dinner. And that's it. And what you've got, what you, you know, what I'm giving you is what you got. And it's no good to say, well, I don't really like this. Can I have something else? No. No. There probably was nothing else. It's like, that's what you got and that's it. You know, if it, if it was lamb stew, it was a day when, you know, when there wasn't much money around because that was the cheapest thing to make. It was take it or leave it. And you know something? Jesus wants to know where we be at when he's the only option. Is Jesus enough just for himself? Just for himself. Not, just the, not for the blessings we get. Not for the good things he does for us. Not for the benefits of being connected to Jesus. Followers want Jesus for himself. So the crowd has to decide. The crowd has to decide. He said, I'm the bread of life. You want me? I'm not giving you any more meals. I'm not serving breakfast today. Do you want me? Are they hanging around for the perks, or is it really about the relationship? And that's a good thing for us to ask ourselves from time to time. Am I just kind of drifting along here because I like what goes along with this lifestyle, or really am I as committed to and connected to Jesus as I really need to be? Is it about Jesus or what he does for me? And here's what it says in John 6, verse 66. Here was their reaction. After this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Wow. These are people who seemed as if they were like all for Jesus. And Jesus says to them, hey, look, I just want to know, do you really love me? Do you really want me? Is it about me and you? And you know what happened? They said, uh, no, it's not. And they left. They left. And if that happened to Jesus, it's going to happen over and over again in different circumstances. Towards the end of his life, the apostle Paul was in prison because of his faith in Rome. Ultimately, he was going to be executed. By the way, next week, we're going to start a new teaching series called Brand New which looks at the start of the life of the Apostle Paul. And uh, we're going to begin that next week by looking at the fact that you've got to get past your past. Because if there's one person in the Bible who had a past, sold it. Anyway, that's next week's. At the moment, he's in prison in Rome. Here we go. So he, he's here, and, and he's been in prison in Rome. He's going to die for his faith, and there are a few people around him. But he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10 and encourages Timothy to come and see him because he said, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas, who, who was a person who had been with Paul for quite some time, but they, you know, 
there came a point where Demas said, you know what, I don't want to hang out really here anymore. This isn't really that exciting anymore. It was fun while you were going around starting churches and healing people and doing all kinds of stuff, but this isn't fun. Demas left him. I went off to some other place. Is Jesus enough? Is your relationship with Jesus really something that's that special to you? See, you can drift in and out of church. You can be in church for weeks, months, years, but never really connect with Jesus. You can love the atmosphere. You can love the music. Heck, you can even like the preaching, but actually never have a relationship and connection with Jesus. But the point is this. If there came the day when all of this wasn't available or you weren't able to get here, then the thing is this. What really counts is have you got that Christ connection for you or not? It's a personal relationship with Jesus that's at the heart of this. In fact, you know, if you weren't here last week, and I, I, I gather it rained terribly. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. It was 84 and sunny in the DR. But anyway, um, <laughs> If you weren't here last week and didn't catch up yet, um, Charlotte talked last week on, on, on there being no rules but relationship. And uh, she did a fantastic job with that. If you didn't get it, um, you can watch it on our Facebook page, our Genesis Facebook page, or on YouTube, or you can go to our website, genesisli.com, and you can listen to the audio. And of course, you can always get a CD at the front desk. But if you didn't get that, where, where she's talking about why this is all about relationship. See, fans go home, but people who are really followers of Jesus stay with him. They stay connected to him. Fans like the idea of heaven, and they like being in an environment that's positive and that's exciting. Fans love some of the benefits of being connected to Jesus, but the fact is this, they want God on their terms. But when Jesus wipes all that off the table and says, hey, all I'm offering is me, you want me or not? Fans go home. Followers start off with, I'm committed to Jesus, and I love Christ, and I'm following him. John 6, 67. So the people, a lot of his disciples left. Then Jesus gave the 12 their chance. Do you also want to leave? You're going to? I don't know how he said that. Was he frustrated? Was he angry? Was he sad? So all these people leaving him. He turns to the 12. He says, what about you guys? People he spent a lot of time with, invested a lot of energy in. What about you? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know you are the Holy One. There's the bottom line. Lord, there's nowhere for us to go. Lord, there is no alternative. Lord, as far as we're concerned, it all begins and it all ends with you. You're the person who has shown us what life is about, what eternal life is about. We believe in you. We know that you are indeed the Holy One from God. Lord, we are totally committed to you. 
And the question of the morning is this, is Jesus enough? And followers want Jesus for himself. They want Jesus for Jesus. They don't just want Jesus for stuff. Okay, second thing. Followers remain faithful. Followers remain faithful. So Peter says, no, nobody could teach us like you. Nobody could lead us like you. Why on earth, Lord, would we want to leave you? But, but, but fans will. When fans get to realize sometimes that following Jesus means taking up your cross, it means it might be uncomfortable, then, then fans tend to fade into the background. Followers stay committed. Followers stay committed when times are tough. Wouldn't it be easier if God just, like, emailed us and said, let me just map out your life for you. Here's how it's going to go. And then he explained some of the downs as well as the ups. But the truth is God doesn't do that, does he? God doesn't kind of answer every question by writing letters in the sky. God doesn't whisper in our ears and say, let me explain to you fully why this is happening right now because this is what it's going to lead to. God doesn't do that. There are times in our lives when it seems as if everything is upside down, nothing is the way that it really ought to be, but the, tr the true sign of a follower is this, is followers continue to trust Jesus even when they don't understand what's going on. See, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this. It says, now faith is, the co is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. I don't see it. I don't see any signs in it, of it, but I'm trusting God for it. Faith is saying, I don't see how all this could, sorry, fear would tell us I don't see how all this could work out, but faith tells me I can be assured about what I don't see because I know God is good, I know God works things for good, I know God in my life has got a track record of unbelievable good, and I trust Him and I believe Him. I can't see, but I still believe. That's what faith's about. That's what faith is about. Followers, some folks would kind of say, oh, that's kind of blind faith, isn't it? No, that's seeing faith. Seeing faith is seeing Jesus when I can't see anything else and still trusting him and still loving him and still believing him. Life can be demanding and is painful and is totally confusing at times but followers remain faithful. If you're here today and your world seems to be falling apart, I want to really encourage you in the middle of everything else, keep your focus on Jesus. Going through what you're going through right now, keep your eyes looking towards the eternal constant in your life. We cannot understand it all, but God does. We don't know how everything's going to work out, but he does. 
and we trust Him. There's a great couple of verses in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, verse 17, where the prophet says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So here's an agricultural community, and they're basically saying this, if everything really just doesn't work out for us. So I've got no figs to harvest. I've got no grapes to harvest. I, I've got no olives to harvest. There's no, nothing in the fields. Though my sheep, uh, though I lost my sheep, though I lost my cattle, though I, had every, though I had nothing basically going for me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord. And you know what? That's the kind of thing you need to set in your heart when you don't need it so that when you do need it, it comes to you. You know what I'm saying? When you feel like you're at the bottom of everything and the world's crumbling in on top of you, uh, that's probably not the moment to suddenly decide, oh yeah, I guess I should rejoice in the Lord. That's a commitment we need to make on a regular basis. Say, you know what? Though all my life is falling apart, I am going to be joyful in God and I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I will praise God. There was a there was a hymn that was written about 120 years ago. That was before most of us were born. And, and one of the verses goes like this. I love these words. They're kind of old English, but I love them. What though clouds are hovering o'er me, and I seem to walk alone, longing neath my cares and crosses for the joys that now are flown. If I've Jesus, Jesus only, then my sky will have a gem. He's the lily of the valley and the star of Bethlehem. If I've Jesus, Jesus only. Is Jesus enough? If I've Jesus only. The Old Testament book of Job, Job, a man who lost absolutely everything that he had and was in a pitiful state, said this. He said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in Him. Followers remain faithful. And then finally, followers live for eternity. Now, that's got, I guess, two meanings. One is followers are going to live forever. But the other meaning, this is kind of where I was really getting at, is followers live with eternity in their minds and eternity in their hearts. You know, we don't know the day, we don't know the time, and we'll see the Lord. The Bible talks about Jesus coming a second time to this earth and taking his own home. Then again, we don't know when the time might come, when our own health might fail, and it seems as if the time has come because our bodies are giving up that we're actually going to leave this world. We don't know when that will be or when that will happen. But even though we don't know the future, followers know him. We know him. Matthew 10 and verse 32, Jesus said this. He said, stand up for me against the world. Sorry, stand up for me against world opinion, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. If you're willing to say in this life, I am a follower, 
If you're willing to say in this life, hey, you guys go your direction. I've chosen to go through the narrow door. I've chosen to go in a different direction. And Jesus says, if you stand up for me in this life, I'm going to stand up for you in the next life. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So many of you will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? In your name I drove out demons, I performed miracles, and I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Hey, there's plenty of people who say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. But the truth is this. Followers live forever. Followers live for eternity. That same hymn ends with this, these words. When I soar to realms of glory and an entrance I await, if I whisper Jesus only, wide will open the pearly gate. When I join the angel chorus and the heavenly hosts I see, precious Jesus, Jesus only, will my theme of rapture be. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be going along with the church flow. We need to know Jesus for ourselves. We need to love Jesus for ourselves. We need to serve Jesus ourselves. We love him because he first loved us. To all who received him. You may be here this morning and you're in a position where obviously you're interested because you're in church, but you've never fully made a commitment of your life to Christ. And I'm going to invite you this Sunday morning to come to the place where you say, I want to make this real and I want to make it personal. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. You may be here today as someone who once knew what it was to walk really close to Jesus. But for whatever reason, in your heart, you've stepped back. And I want to encourage you to make this Sunday morning the morning where you open your heart fresh to Christ and say, Lord, I really want to live in relationship with you. Don't be satisfied with going through religious motions. Have a relationship with Jesus that is real. Let's pray together.